You're listening to the Gates Church Podcast. For more information or to support this ministry, please visit thegates.org. Father God, we just thank you for Pastor Greg. We thank you for the anointing and his call to serve um, and lead this church, Lord God. Um, we just pray that um, as he takes uh, the, the podium this morning that you would breathe your, your living word through him, Lord, and that we would... Um, you would open our hearts, Father God, just to receive you in your entirety, Lord, to understand, um, to gain knowledge and wisdom, Father, and um, we just thank you for these opportunities. We don't take them for granted um, as people all over the world are fighting to have these opportunities, Father. We just pray that your Holy Spirit would be moving in us this morning. Pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Spoo. Morning, everyone. Good to see you all here this morning. If, if you are visiting with us today, I hope that uh, you felt welcome. And if you have any questions, please feel free to chat with me. love to hear from you. Um, if you're not visiting or, and you haven't talked with me in a while, I'd love to hear from you as well. Um, but first, you all get to hear from me. So I apologize. Um, more specifically, we're going to be finishing up our sermon series, Wisdom Lit, which we've been going through uh, Proverbs learning about wisdom and all of that. And, and on that end, reading and teaching through Proverbs has both been encouraging and challenging for myself. Uh, teaching wisdom when I don't feel particularly wise all the time is, is challenging. Um, but uh, I hope that it was the same for you this summer as well. I hope that, that you guys learned something and that it was challenging and encouraging for you, um, that God was able to work in your hearts as, as we've been going through this series. And uh, I've actually enjoyed it so much, though, that um, even though it was challenging, I've enjoyed it so much that we may even have a Wisdom Lit series, part two, next summer, where we go through a different wisdom book of the Bible, like Ecclesiastes or something like that. So we'll see. No promises. um, But uh, I think that would be fun to talk about how life is meaningless Um, (laughs) and what that truly means. Um, but the truth, the truth is though, as we've been going through Proverbs, we've, we've really only scratched the surface, right? We've only, we've really only touched on a couple of, of, of topics, a couple of themes, you know, we talked about how to read Proverbs and, um, but we've learned a lot as well, right? On the, on the subject of wisdom, how to get it, how to, how to use it, how to hold on to it. We learned that wisdom can be used in every facet and nuance of our lives, not only in the big decisions, but in the everyday moments and interactions of our lives as well, in relationships, finances, in in our choices and decisions, in our work, our anxiety, our friendships, generosity, our faith. The list goes on. Wisdom is needed and is available in all of these things. Proverbs is a reminder for us that we can and need to seek wisdom in all that we say and do. And we also learned On that end, that the source of wisdom is God. And it was God himself who gave King Solomon the wisdom, which we get to now learn from in Proverbs. But God's wisdom is available through his Holy Spirit as well, through through the word of God. And we we learned as well this summer that to, to obtain wisdom, we must not think of ourselves as wise, but humble ourselves and fear the Lord. Fearing the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, right? We need to be open to learning, to instruction in his word, to obedience, 
to discipline and to increasing in knowledge. Right? We also learn that wisdom wants to be known. Right? It's not far off and, and unavailable and, you know, we don't have to go through a treasure hunt to find it. No, wisdom wants to be known. Proverbs 1.20 says, Wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the markets, she raises her voice. So, in other words, wisdom is, is readily, readily available. Right? She wants us to find her. She wants us to know her. And we learn, too, that, that wisdom isn't just some neat advice. It's just not, not, not just a bunch of advice, but ultimately Proverbs is pointing us to a person who we can know and be in relationship with. His name is Jesus. This is why wisdom is often perceived as, as someone to marry or befriend. And Jesus is this wisdom revealed to us in the flesh. In Matthew 12, it says Jesus is greater than Solomon, right? greater than, than the, the wisest man in the known world at the time, the one who started the wisdom tradition, but Jesus, it says, is greater than him. And in 1 Corinthians, Jesus is called the wisdom of God. He's not, it doesn't just say he's wise or he has wisdom from God. No, he is called the wisdom of God. And in Colossians 2.3, it says, In him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. On this subject, Daniel and Jonathan Aiken wrote, and I read this quote at the beginning of our series as well. They write, What if wisdom was a person you could love and walk with? And just by knowing, loving, and walking with this person, it would actually make you wise. What if wisdom was a person who spoke to you? And by listening to wisdom's voice, you could actually grow in wisdom. Proverbs will teach us that wisdom isn't an Israelite dear Abby. It's not a bunch of tips you learn to live out. Wisdom is a person. Jesus of Nazareth. Through a relationship with him, you can be reconciled to God, to others, and to the world around you. Through a relationship with him, he will begin to produce in you the wisdom he lives out. The wisdom of Proverbs. So because of Jesus, because we get to, to know him and learn from him and be changed by him and strengthened by him, right? we have a better chance of, of being wise and making wise choices than even King Solomon himself did. Who, as we know, even with all the wisdom, still turned from the Lord and chose folly. And then finally, among many other things, this summer we learned that wisdom is a source of life. Abundant life and eternal life in the presence of our Lord. Unlike foolishness, which it says produces foolishness and ultimately leads to death. On that topic, we turn today to Proverbs 3, which is like a, a love letter about wisdom. It's expressing how valuable and enriching wisdom is for our lives. It's also a, a plea by King Solomon to his son, urging him to, to pursue and, and hold on to wisdom and be faithful to her. He says in verse 18, She is a tree of life to those who embrace her. Those who hold her tight are happy. Wisdom is a tree of life. Remember that. I'm going to refer to that later on. Wisdom is a tree of life. And in verses 22 to 24, it says that as we hold on to wisdom's sound judgment and discretion, it says they will be life for your whole being and an ornament for your neck. Then you will walk safely on your path and your foot won't stumble. If you lie down, you won't be terrified. 
when you lie down, your sleep will be pleasant. Your sleep will be pleasant. You won't lie awake at night in, in, in regret or with worry or, or bitterness or, or what ifs. You'll sleep soundly and peacefully. That sounds pretty good, right? And on that end, I just, I just want to ask you rhetorically, what keeps you up at night? What keeps you up at night these days? I said rhetorically to whoever answered that question. That means don't say anything. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, I'm just kidding. You can tell me. You can tell me. I'm here for you. Um, but I'll be the first to admit that I had a very stressful week, okay? I was preparing for a wedding that I performed yesterday. I was dealing with costly building issues that we're having here at the gate. Well, at the same time, trying to prepare this message, conclusion to the whole series, not that big of a deal, I guess, but um, also paying for a new roof for my house, which sucks, dealing with plumbing issues at my house, uh, planning for the fall, the series for the fall and, and moving forward, trying to heal from a soccer injury, preparing our kids for school and myself mentally because Liam is going to be going into middle school, which is freaking me out probably more than him. There was a lot going on this week and much more. And I'll admit, because of all of that, there were some nights where it was hard to fall asleep. You know, I needed sleep. I was, I was dead tired, but my introverted mind wouldn't stop thinking about everything, right? Because I, I was stressing out. I was worried about not finding solutions to the problems I was dealing with. I was, I, was, I was afraid of not being able to get things done in time, even doubting myself and, and my calling and my abilities. I'm thinking, what's the point anyways? And I was creating scenarios in my, in my mind of all the things that could go wrong on and on and on. The synapses in my brain kept firing off and they, and they wouldn't let me go to sleep. Definitely not the, the makings of, of a peaceful sleep. How many of you have been there? But what I've come to realize and, and was reminded of this week in, in my preparation for this morning is that if faithfully holding on to wisdom's discretion and sound judgment leads to peaceful sleep, I must not be doing that. Ultimately, then, what it, what it came down to for me was humble, humbly recognizing that my restlessness, my, my worry, my, my doubt, all, all of those things was pointing to a deeper issue, that I wasn't fully trusting in the Lord. I wasn't fully placing my faith in his provision, in, in his ability to, to turn all things for good. I was worrying because I was doubting that, right? I wasn't trusting in His grace when I do mess up. I wasn't trusting in His comfort and refuge, in His strength and calling, and in His sovereignty and His desire to to bless me and, and give me wisdom. I was stressing out because I had turned inward into myself for resolve and understanding. And I wasn't finding any. I was only finding zero sleep. 
And this re- realization also led me to, to a deeper revelation or understanding of what wisdom really is, and that it's really simple but profound, which is that the book of, book of Proverbs can be summed up as this. Wisdom is trusting in the Lord. Wisdom is trusting in the Lord. And you've probably seen that theme throughout every single message this summer through Proverbs. Wisdom is trusting in the Lord. Proverbs 3 confirms this in verses 5 to 8 when it says, most of us have probably heard this, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not rely on your own understanding. But think about him in all your ways and he will guide you on the right paths. Don't consider yourself to be wise. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. This will be healing for your body and strengthening for your bones. So again, the the constant message throughout Proverbs is this. That to be wise is to trust in the Lord. To lean on Him. To obey the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And to pray as, as Jesus taught us, Heavenly Father, not my will, but Your will be done. And when we don't, well, that's what keeps us up at night. But what does it mean to trust in the Lord and lean not on our own understanding? Well, first of all, I, I want to tell you what I think it doesn't mean. I think it doesn't mean a lot of things. And I'm just going to say one thing. I think it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean turning off our brains. Proverbs reminds us over and over again that that part of what it means to grow in wisdom is also to grow in knowledge and insight. So God's not calling us to shut off our brains here and just, you know, believe blindly or whatever, right? Let's not misinterpret these verses as saying something they're not. But with that being said, what then are these verses saying? Well, saying, well, primarily, I would say that they're saying above all, no matter what, even when it doesn't seem to make any reasonable or emotional sense, these verses are saying that the wisest choice of action is to always follow God's word. To trust in his ways. His voice, His commands, His design, His spirit, and His plans. These verses are a reminder for us that, that God's thoughts are higher than ours. That His ways are deeper than ours. That, that He is the source of wisdom, which means He knows what's best. His will is perfect. He knows the outcome. And, and we need this reminder... Because too often we tend to place our our trust on and make decisions based on our our own understanding or allow our feelings or our culture to dictate our, our thoughts and our actions, don't we? Timothy Keller writes, Our culture tells us to submit everything to our understanding, to question everything, including the Bible. But everyone must choose something to not question. Modern people don't question their right and ability to question everything. So everyone is living by faith in some ultimate authority. And Proverbs calls us to make it God's word, not our reason and intuition. 
So the world says, in other words, the world says we can trust ourselves, our individual logic. But can we? Getting a little philosophical here. If we, if we don't know the picture, the big picture, can we? God knows the big picture. And besides, our, our emotions, our lack of foreknowledge, we don't know what's going to happen. Our culture's influence, our, our pride, our stubbornness, our feelings, our desires, our uh, people that influence us in our lives, our, our access to insurmountable knowledge in books and on the internet and in podcasts, whether true or, or false or half-true, our sinful nature, all of these things can and do cloud our judgment. If we're honest, they cloud our judgment and our understanding. But yet, we still think that we can follow our hearts and, and trust our own reason and logic in every facet and nuance of our lives. Really? We've never made a mistake and had to pay the consequences? Do, do we really think that we can know the objective difference between what's right and wrong, good or bad, foolish or wise in every moment and every decision that we make? And don't get me wrong, again, God gave us brains to use, right? He made us curious. He gave us logic, the ability to process situations and follow the evidence and figure out problems. He gave us science and, and math and, and language and emotions and, and the ability to make plans and communicate and all of these things. We're made to think and understand. Absolutely. And when it comes to the Bible, we should be wrestling with the text. Learning and, and, and grappling and, and prayerfully examining its meaning and, and its interpretation. Writing it on our hearts and processing it in our minds. When something doesn't make sense in the word, we should be digging deeper into the word. We should look into it, not just gloss over it. Maybe even seek out trusted theologians or apologists for deeper understanding. Pray through it. We're never asked to shut off our brains. Do not misinterpret this. We're never asked to shut off our brains. Though with that being said, we do need to acknowledge in all our ways that God's brain is a little bit bigger than ours. Right? We need to humbly remember that we're only human. We're mere blips on this planet's timeline. We don't have all the knowledge or the foresight like God does. Which means there will be choices or decisions that need to be made where, where despite what our limited understanding is telling us, despite what the world is telling us, despite what our feelings are saying to us, where we just need to trust in God with all our heart and, and resist the urge to lean on our own understanding. Because we all know, and, and we've all experienced this, that, that our own understanding and our own heart's desire is often in conflict with what the Word of God says. Right? For example, our hurt feelings might tell us we have the right to remain bitter against those who've hurt us. That feels right. But yet God's word 
tells us to forgive unconditionally, even as we're forgiven in Christ. And the world's logic or, or our own heart will often seek to justify our right to retaliate or strike down our enemies. And God's word tells us to love our enemies instead. And our co-workers or our friends might egg us on to punch back when we've been struck. You know, are you going to take that? And that feels totally justified in the moment. But yet God's word tells us to turn the other cheek. Our pride or our ambition might, might convince us to lie and cheat and steal in order to get ahead in life. But yet God's word tells us that it's better to be poor and have integrity than to be rich and corrupt. Our anger or our depression or our struggles in life might, might cause us to, to think that God doesn't love us. But God's word says his love is faithful and that he'll never leave us or forsake us. That he's a refuge and a comfort. And our self-preservation makes us think that the most logical thing to do is to look out for ourselves. To hoard our money and our, our possessions for ourselves so that we're never in need. But yet God tells us to give generously and sacrificially without partiality. And God might call us to, to go somewhere that, that makes no logical sense to us. For example, Moses felt like he was walking to his death when, when he went to face Pharaoh. That made no logical sense to him. How is, how is one man going to free millions of people? But God told him he would free his people. You see, in these moments where we're in conflict with the Word of God, we're called to trust that God knows what he's doing over and above what we think is best or right. So I've told this story before that I'm about to tell, but 10 years ago when our church, the gate, was going through a rough time, our pastor quit, feelings were hurt, the church was falling apart, people were leaving left and right, nothing was going well. It was dreadful and heartbreaking to be a part of. And some of you... A few of you were, were around for that. It sucked. So my wife and I were like, like everybody else, let's get as far away from this drama as possible because we don't like drama. I don't like drama. My wife hates drama. So we're like, we're done with this drama. We're out of here. But, but we decided... So, so we decided we were going to start looking for a different church, but first, you know, in order to sound spiritual about it, so that we could be like, well, we prayed about it, and we feel like God's calling us to leave. Um, I've, ne- I've never heard that before. Wait a minute. Yes, I have. Uh, anyways, um, <laughs> no judgment. Anyways, so we, just <laughs> we, uh, we agreed to pray on it so that we would sound really spiritual. And, uh, and it's a good thing that we did actually pray about it. Because, guess what, the next day we, we unexpectedly informed each other nervously and, and hesitantly because we thought we were going to be in disagreement with each other, uh, that we both felt that God was actually calling us to stay at the gate. Despite the fact that, that our own hearts and our own logic and our, and our emotions cried out for us to leave this place of, of hurt and ruin behind. 
Instead, we decided to trust in God. And we stayed. It didn't make any sense. But we stayed. And a year later, we realized why God was calling us to stay as I was hired on as a pastor. You see, we think we know better than God. But we don't. We think we can logically work out all the details and predict the outcomes of our actions. But we can't. We think we can define for ourselves what's wise or foolish. But we always fall short. And if, if I had run from this place, who knows where I'd be? But God made my path straight when I trusted in him and not in my own understanding or feelings. And that, that's what that's, this passage is telling us. That wisdom is choosing to obey God in faith, to trust in Him, to submit to Him and His commandments and His guidance, to acknowledge Him in all our ways, above all else, in everything, even when it makes no sense to our reason or logic, even, even when our heart cries out for us to go a different way. Trust God. He will make your paths straight. Doesn't God, after all, use what seems foolish to shame the wise? It's like the time Peter told Jesus he, he, would, he would never let Jesus die on the cross. And, and Jesus replied to him, get behind me, Satan. Peter, without even realizing, realizing it, had switched teams in that moment. Right? To Peter, the cross seemed like a dead end. There, there was no hope there. Only tragedy and sorrow and death. It didn't make any sense to him. So when Jesus told him what had to happen, Peter chose to trust his own logic, his own gut feelings, rather than trusting in the, in the deeper logic and sovereign knowledge of the holy God who created heaven and earth. He thought he was doing what was right and wise and heroic even. I'll protect you from the cross, Jesus. But in actuality... He was foolishly getting in the way of the very thing that would bring redemption to humanity. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And Peter, of course, eventually learned this, the hard way, that whenever we trust in our own understanding over God's word, we're choosing the way of the fool. We're choosing folly. We're switching teams. We're choosing the way of death, and we think we're super intelligent as we do it. Proverbs twenty-eight twenty-six hits hard when it says, Those who trust in their own reasoning are fools, but those who walk in wisdom will be kept safe. On that note, you may have noticed a theme going on here, and it's that there's always a choice. I talked about this at the beginning of the series as well when we contrasted Madame Folly with Lady Wisdom, right? There's always a choice. They're both calling out to us. In every moment from when we wake up to when we 
go to sleep. And everything we do and say and how we act and react and relate to others, there's always a choice. The way of wisdom or the way of the fool. To put it simply, God's way or my way. And if we think about it, this choice actually takes us all the way back in time to the beginning of mankind, to, to Genesis, to the, to, the, to the temptation of and fall of man in the garden, right? Remember, remember in, in, that, in that moment, Adam and Eve, they lived in abundance and blessing. In the presence of God, they were given purpose and, and authority over creation. This is, this is the way we were created to live, in the presence of God. But in the middle of the garden stood a tree, which was called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God placed it there and he warned them that if they eat the fruit of this tree, they'll surely die. In fact, he commanded them not to eat it. But the serpent eventually comes along and this is what goes down. He draws Eve's attention to the, to the one thing she can't have when he slyly asks her, Genesis 3, 1 to 7. Did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, Oh, oh we may eat the fruit of the, from the trees in the garden, but about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said, You must not eat it or touch it, or you will die. The serpent was hoping she would say this, because right away he says, No, you will not die. The serpent said to the woman, in fact, God knows that, that when you eat it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at, and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. So she took some of its fruit and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew they were naked, so they sewed fig, tree, tree, fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. I think what people often get wrong about this passage is that we also tend to mistakenly believe the lie of Satan here, just as Eve did, when he convinces her that God is hiding from them the knowledge of good and evil. That's Satan's lie to Eve. That's not actually what's happening. God's, God wasn't hiding the knowledge of good and evil from them. Adam and Eve had access to the full wisdom and authority of God. They had a relationship with him. They had life. They had the wisdom and, and knowledge of all creation at their fingertips. They, they lived among all that was righteous and very good. They knew what was good, and yes, they also knew that evil was directly related to disobeying God. Disobeying his commandment. So we need to realize what's really happening here. Which is that Adam and Eve decided in that moment of doubt and temptation that they wanted the ability to define wisdom and morality on their own terms. Apart from God. They wanted to be gods themselves and make up the rules. By eating of the fruit of the tree, they chose to trust 
in their own understanding. And the book of Proverbs is constantly drawing us back to this moment. Every single time we're told that trusting in our own way is folly, it's basically telling us that that every time we lean on our own understanding, we're also eating of the fruit of that tree. We're attempting to find and define wisdom on our own terms instead of trusting in the wisdom of God. And as was pointing out, pointed out in a Bible Project podcast that I was listening to recently, the reason the tree was placed in the middle of the garden was precisely so that it could be seen from everywhere. No matter where they were, that tree was always in sight. In other words, it's a reminder that in everything we do and say, that, that choice is always in view. To either trust God or to lean on our own understanding. To trust in God's wisdom or to attempt to define it ourselves. But this is also why Proverbs points us to an alternative tree when, when it calls wisdom a tree of life. So in contrast to the tree of knowledge of good and evil, which leads to sin and death and pulls us back to the fall of man in Genesis, the imagery of the tree of life points us forward. It calls us to look ahead to the book of Revelation, to our future hope when when Jesus has come again to restore all things. And it's there where we're shown a glorious future image of, of all God's people dwelling in his presence in the new Jerusalem. And in the center of this city, you guessed it, the tree of life. Revelation 22, 1-2 says, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also, on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. So the book of Proverbs is, is urging us to eat of the fruit of, fruit of this tree. And how do we get to this tree of life? By trusting in the Lord and leaning not on our own understanding. By coming to Jesus. John fourteen six, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. What this is saying is Jesus is the way to the tree of life, the the one who makes our path straight and gives us boldness and faith. Jesus is the truth who leads us into wisdom, the wisdom and knowledge of God. And Jesus is the one who, by his death and resurrection, freely forgives us our sins, who brings healing, who gives us eternal life in the presence of our God. Jesus is the power of God who changes our hearts to be in line with his. Jesus is the wisdom of God revealed to us that we may grow in the knowledge and ways of God. So if we desire to walk in the fullness of wisdom, we need to walk by faith with the risen Christ in relationship with him. And by his grace, we get to, we can. And so as we conclude our series this morning, and before we move into responding with the Lord's Supper, I'd like you to join me in, in, in meditating and reflecting on some, 
excerpts from 1 Corinthians, uh, which help solidify and, and sum up what we've been learning. 1 Corinthians 1, 18 says, For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but it is the power of God to us who are being saved. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and I will set aside the intelligence of the intelligent. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. Yet to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom. And God's weakness is stronger than human strength. It is from Him that you are in Christ Jesus, who became wisdom from God for us. Our righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. In order that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. I'm going to call, you, call on you to receive communion this morning. You can receive it on your own with your friends or family or however you want to do it. But I, I would ask that you would take some time to humble yourself before the Lord. To recognize that, that we are here. That we, 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 we get to have salvation because of Him. Because of Christ given to us. Because Jesus became wisdom from God for us. Our righteousness, our sanctification, our redemption. And so it is Him that we boast in. Not, not our wisdom, not anything we've done, but in Him. So I would encourage you just to take some time to, to, to humble yourself before the Lord. Reflect on that. And when you're ready, you can come and receive the cracker, which represents his body that was broken for you, and the juice, which represents his blood that was shed for the forgiveness of our sins, in which he invites us into a new covenant. I'm going to pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are good. Lord, we, we, we come to you and acknowledge that you are Lord of lords, King of kings, that you are the creator of the universe. Lord, that we weren't there when you created the stars, the heavens, the earth. And we don't know what's to come and how you will move. And Lord, in light of that, we surrender ourselves and, and humble ourselves before you and trust in your wisdom, in your grace, in your Holy Spirit to guide us into all truth, to help us grow in the knowledge of who you are and what you've called us to do. Lord, help us to, to trust in you and not lean on our own understanding. Help us to acknowledge you in all our ways. And we thank you that as we do, you will make our path straight. You will bring healing to our bones. You will give us life. You will give us restful, peaceful sleep, Lord. 
So we humble ourselves before you. We thank you for Jesus, for coming to us, for living a perfect life we couldn't live, for dying in our place, taking our sins upon himself so that we could be covered in righteousness, so that we could walk in wisdom and in the power Thank you.